I am so honored to be here. I always take the summers off from speaking because I work full-time in radio, and I just I need a Sabbath time to get my cup filled back up. So this is my first event of this kicking off the season, and I love River Valley. So what a way to kick off. And you're amazing. So praise God. Well, just yesterday morning, I was just meditating on a passage, a verse in Psalm 33, and I love it. Oh, praise the Lord, you righteous ones, for the praise of the righteous is beautiful. And I just want you to think about that, because so often when you think about the praise of the righteous, you think of the praise of the person who does right. But what the righteous really is, is a person who's been made right in Christ. And we are made right. It's an inside-out thing. So the one who knows her identity and comes before Christ, knowing that she's his beloved one, when she lets that miracle be at work in her story, then she does right. But we don't do right. That's not what makes us righteous. We are made right in him. And so nothing is more beautiful to Jesus than we come before him saying, there's a thousand reasons I shouldn't be here, but I get to because of you. And I'm praising you. And that is beautiful to God. Isn't that amazing? In fact, Scripture says the prayer of the righteous accomplishes great and powerful things. And again, that doesn't mean the prayer of the person who does everything right, because none of us does everything right. But it's the woman who comes before the Lord and says, I'm yours and you are mine. I have authority. And that mountain has to move. And you can't have my kids, devil. And you can't have my marriage, and you can't destroy my business because I know who I am. The prayer of the woman who knows who she is in Christ, when she prays, stuff happens. Isn't that amazing? We must know who we are. We must. I was telling Sally in the back room, I'm the poster child for the scripture that says God chooses the foolish to shame the wise. And the woman, the things that are not to nullify the things that are. I was the most insecure, broken afraid person you ever want to meet. But something the Lord showed me in my journey is insecurity is just another form of selfishness because we make decisions with us in mind. In fact, I've realized now that I've gotten a little bit older that insecurity is actually putting more confidence in your flesh to disqualify you than God's ability to qualify you. So it's backwards. And so we have to take the leap of faith to accept acceptance and say, I am someone God wants at his party. Amen? I'm someone that God wants to write a story for. My mentor says that the two greatest ploys that the enemy will use against us to drive us away from the things of God are inferiority and insecurity. And so when you hear scripture and you read scripture that says put to death the deeds of the flesh, that doesn't just mean excess, getting drunk, doing things that are rotten and bad for you. A deed of the flesh is anything born out of the flesh. So put to death actions that come up out of your insecurity and inferiority. Refuse to be driven by your fears and your insecurities because you're someone God loves. And he set his affection on you. He set his sights on you. He wants to write an amazing story with your life that will blow you away. But you got to give him access. So that's what we're talking about tonight is your beautiful purpose. I love this message because I love God and I love women. And I get so excited when an army of women gets mobilized. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you are good, your promises are true, and you will make a way for me. You will make a way for my friend. You are good, your promises are true, and you will make a way for us. 
God, you are the guest of honor in this place. You are coming soon, and we want to live ready. Lord, we don't want to just be about our issues all the time. We want to put fear under our feet, insecurity behind our back, and we want to rise up because you say, rise up, a woman of faith. Greater are you who is in us than he that is in the world, and your truths are greater than the enemy's lies. And so we condemn every scheme of the enemy to distort this message, to destroy the callings of the women in this room. We condemn him, we put him under our feet, and I ask God by the power of your spirit that faith would rise up in this room and what is possible, Lord God, in each of our lives would seem possible, God. Give us faith. And Lord, I do confess that I can't say anything unless you breathe life in and through me. Glorify your name in this place. May dreams be born tonight in this place. May old dreams gather fresh life tonight. May the shackles of depression, of insecurity, of fear, of inferiority fall by the wayside. May we rise up as the fearless woman you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is your beautiful purpose? It's four aspects. One is to walk intimately with God. It's to walk intimately, intimately with God. Secondly, it's to do the next thing he tells you to do. It's not rocket science. As you walk with him, you respond to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. And he might say, go here. He might say, your call's going to take you here, but I get to interrupt your day, so go here right now. You trust him. So you walk intimately with him. You do the next thing he tells you to. And then you give him access to your story. You let him in to those places you'd rather not talk about. The inconsistencies in your character, the pain from your past, the ways you've messed up. You give him access. You let him heal and deal and refine and define. And fourth, if you dare, you ask him to do the impossible in and through you. I dare you. God, do the impossible in and through me. You know, I love Peter. I love him because I relate so much to him. And if you imagine him out on the boat with the disciples, and it's a storm, and the disciples are so afraid, and Jesus comes, walks to them, and, it, and it's so scary that the disciples think that he's a ghost. And I love Peter's response because he says, Lord, if it's you... Tell me to come out of the boat. And I think that's sort of funny if you just think about it for a minute. You might be an enemy. You might be a ghost. But if you're a friend, tell me to come out of this dangerous situation into a more dangerous situation. Just on the, on the chance you might be for me. I mean, think about that. I want to step out of the boat into the water hoping you are God. I always thought, man, that's risky. Well, I studied the passage. And Dr. Warren Wearsby says that what actually what Peter said was, Lord, bid me come. In the Greek translation, it is a command of a king. So what Peter was saying is, Lord, I know you're the king. You rule the wind and the waves. I already know that. So if you call me out, you will hold me up. Think about that. I dare you. Say, Lord, bid me come. I'm insecure. I've got fears that haunt me all day long, but bid me come. Because I want to live by faith. Because it's the only way I can please you. Amen? Say it. Lord, bid me come. I love this passage from Ephesians 2.10. It says this, For we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus, so that we can do the wonderful things, the good things he planned for us long ago. I want you to camp on that. I want you to memorize that. You are his masterpiece. He does not make junk. And you know what? The kingdom of God turns the world's uh, um, priorities upside down. You know what? He loves the humble. He loves the one who will step out in faith even though she'd rather step back in fear. You are a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece and you're created by him for a purpose. Why? So that you can fulfill the purpose of God on your life. You are living and breathing, taking up space on this earth for such a time as this.
So get your land back. Get a hold of who you are. And start praying prayers that scare that enemy. Amen? So I started out as a speaker, and then I started to write, and, uh, and I was an author speaker for a while. And I was an aerobics instructor for about 15 years in my early mom years as a young 20, 30-something. And so what I love about teaching aerobics, because I'm a multitasker, is you're executing one move while you're cueing the next move, this kind of multi-thing. And I was in a studio, radio studio, doing an interview for one of my books, and I'm watching the host. I'm supposed to be focusing on my content, but I'm watching her do one thing and cue the producer on the next thing, and I'm like... I think I want to do that. <laughs> that seems sort of fun. And so I went back to my secret place with the Lord, and I just said, God, something, I'm an introvert. I really am. So speaking is hard for me, but one-on-one -on -one conversation I come alive in. And so I'm like, Lord, if it could further your purposes along, I would so love to do this radio thing. But if it's more about me than you, take away the desire. But every time I'd be in for an in-studio interview, something would just quicken in me. And finally, one day, about seven, eight years ago, I was walking out of KTIS after an interview, and the producer chased me down, and she's like, I have a question for you. She said, you're such a natural. She goes, would you ever consider being a backup guest host for Kim Jeffries? I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> okay. So I came in and learned to do the side saddle thing, and transitions are kind of tricky in radio, and I just was learning some of the, the, the behind-the-scenes skills. And so as a get, backup guest host, I served that way for four years before I got my own show. Well, during the backup guest host times, I mean, I would be tired. I'd go in, and I'd come home with a spring in my step. I'm like, I know I was made for this because I love mining the treasures in you. I love finding out your story. That's like my most favorite thing. And so they asked some of the on-air people, which I was a very part-time, but that they asked me, which just meant so much to me, to go work at the Women of Faith um, conference to do a KTIS booth. And really, all we were doing was straightening brochures and <laughs> handing them out. But I got this access badge to be at the Excel Energy Center. And I could not stop looking at that thing. I'm like... <laughs> And it gave me access, right? And so all you guys are having a good time at <laughs> Women of Faith, and I'm looking at my badge, you know? And um, so towards the end of the day, everybody filed out to go to dinner, and there was just a few of us left, those of us with access badges, right? And the janitor walks by, and he's got like the same thing, but he's got a boingity thing, you know? And um, I stretch it out, and I show it to him, like you and me, and he goes, whatever, I just work here. And he, he kept walking <laughs> Loser. And I mean, I'm just like, I don't know why this has grown old to you because, you know, we have access, right? It, I don't, it's, I'm totally letting you in on such an idiotic thought process, but I was so into that thing. Well, and we were up on one level, so the stage was way down if you've been to the Excel, right? So the stage was really small. And my boys are all grown now, but two of three of them were musicians. So I raised boys. Well, one was a drummer, so I was always doing my dishes to the beat, you know? And the other one was doing his guitar thing. I'm so used to that. So when these kids got on the stage and they're there, they're doing all their thing, I'm like, I peek in and I can barely see down there, and I'm like, I bet their parents work here and have access badges. <laughs> I'm thinking that's why they get to be on that stage down there. It kind of had gone to my head in a very short amount of time, right? All of a sudden, they come together, and they're so tight, and they're playing Stephen Curtis Chapman's song, I'm Diving In, Going Deep, you know, this so awesome, good, good. And I squint, and I'm like, oh, that is Stephen Curtis Chapman. <laughs> well, you probably don't need a badge. It's, it's all right. But I started to think about that as I prayed, you know. 
If you tried to get near the sun, you would burn up because the sun is so hot you would never last. But the creator of the sun lets you draw near. He gladly welcomes you into his presence. Isn't that amazing? So why can we get near the creator and not be consumed? On Lamentations 3.20, it says it's because of his love. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. That's the place where you find mercy and grace. But I want to say something extremely important. If you really want to live out the call of God on your life, the dream for your life that he has for you is conceived in intimacy. Just like a baby is conceived in intimacy, as you make time and space to hear from God, he puts a seed in your spiritual womb. If you're running so hard, because of your insecurities, because of your ought-tos, because of your should-dos. And churches are full of people, ought-to, should-do, ought-to, should-do. But the walk of faith that God has assigned to you is a get-to. And so to take time, pull back. If you're on five committees, be on two or one. Make time for the Lord and let him plant a dream in your spirit. Because your dream, his dream for you is conceived in intimacy. But guess what? It's also achieved in intimacy. Because it's bigger than you are. And it'll make your knees weak. It's so much bigger than you are that you cannot accomplish it on your own. So you've got to come back to the secret place and say, Lord, I'm afraid. There's giants in the land. People are doing the naysaying thing. I totally disqualify myself by how I handled that conflict just now. You get back to the secret place and he reminds you again, it's about you. It's about me, not you. I've got you. I will qualify you. Access is so important. Take him up on his invitation. Because so often we get so busy. Someone once said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Someone else once said, that the devil drives and the shepherd leads. Follow the shepherd to that secret place. Let him speak to your soul. And you know what he might say? Yeah, I had you doing this for a while, but no more. I want you to enter a season of oneness with me. I want you to understand how many things you do to rescue your sense of self-worth. That's my job. Give them access to your story. Give them access to your heart, your insecurities, all the things that bug you about other people. Get in that little place with him and let him heal you, deal with you, lift you up because he will always call you up. Dreams are conceived through intimacy and they're achieved through intimacy. You have an open door policy with the Lord, God. Take him up on it. Now, as he calls you out, you're going to have to do things that seem above you and things at times that seem beneath you. But that's how our Savior lived, isn't it? He spoke to the storm and he washed the disciples' feet. And so we're never too small for big things and we're never too big for small things. And so we, when you think about, I'm going to have you put up the, the comfort zone diagram. We're the queens of our comfort zone. And you know, there's sort of a gift from God in many ways. It's the thing that makes your world a sweet place, like my fluffy pillow, my pit bull Memphis, I love that dog, my bike and the bike trails. I like to haul on the bike trails 25 miles, 18 miles an hour as fast as I can. That's like a happy place. My husband is part of my safe place. My multiple stacks of commentaries and Bibles, that just makes my world so happy. There's things that make my world so precious, and you have the same. But if you serve your comfort zone, it will actually shrink, and then that thing becomes an idol. So if the things that make you comfortable keep you from giving sacrificially, taking faith risks, you're not stewarding it well. This is a gift, a place where you rest and you get reprieved. You get reprieved, but you're meant to step out. And the next zone is the learning zone. And so when the Lord calls you out, there's going to be times where he calls you to things that you just don't, you feel awkward, because you always have to be learning and growing. So just a quick example, let's say you're a big deal in the corporate world. And the Lord calls you onto the mission field. You go on a mission trip with your church. 
and you get there and you feel like you have two left feet and you see all these people who are comfortable in their own skin and you're like, this is not, I, I, this was a mistake. I need to go back to my world where I know my world. But then you pause and you go, you know what though? God called me here. And faith rises up and you try to enter in even though you feel awkward, you're in the learning zone. But as you enter in, you get to know some of the people in the village and you're praying for them and suddenly you get God's heart and you see how big the world is. And you go back and you're like, I gotta go back there again. And you go back again. And pretty soon you get to know that village. And, and so suddenly your known zone increases. What was once a learning zone has now become a known zone because you know your way around. And you bring other people in who've never been there before and it's their learning zone. Do so you see, if you mind your comfort zone, even what you have will shrink because we're not meant to live such small lives. So if you're serious about living out the call of God, he will call you out to things you don't feel qualified doing, you might look a little goofy doing, but be humble enough to follow him to the learning zone. And the next zone is the faith zone. And this is the freak out zone. This is the place where you may wanna throw up on yourself a couple times, <laughs> I'm just being honest. Because this is a place where you're like, God, if you don't come through for me, I am in big trouble but we cannot please him without faith. And so I dare you, Lord, bid me come, do the impossible in and through me, but then help me, God, take these steps of faith when, they, when you call me to. Amen? Amen. Amen? So many women, I believe men and women are going to, many Christians, I should say, are gonna to get to heaven and realize they were saved but not free because they, left, they lived so bound up in their issues and their fears, trying to save face, trying to look good, but never, never really free. But we gotta get over man's opinion of us so we can get on with what God has to say about us, right? And so when you start to wake up, because I see women who've just had so much disappointment that the light has gone out of their eyes and they've stopped dreaming and they feel like that's for everybody but me. I have news for you, it's for everybody and you. He's got a story he wants to write and he's no respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of faith. He's a respecter of faith. If he sees faith, he'll act on it. He'll move on it. He doesn't have certain people he likes better. He responds to faith. Faith pleases him. And so when we all wake up to the idea, God, my story fits me best. Your story fits you best. Vision awakens. Dream awakens. Possibilities awaken. Guess what else awakens? Jealousy the sin of comparison, because suddenly you think, what could happen? And you go, how come she gets to do that? I'm way better at that than she is. I mean, girls, we think like that sometimes. I don't know why she's up there singing. I can sing better than that, and I'm not, I can't, and I'm not insinuating anything. Just an example, <laughs> right? But the, the, the jealousy comes up in us. And the thing is, just like you hear about gateway drugs, certain drugs that lead to worse addictions and drugs, to me, the sin of comparison is a gateway sin. And it leads to two things that are devastating to our spiritual lives, pride and jealousy. And scripture says God distances himself from the proud, but he draws near and gives grace to the humble. So if you compare and you happen to come out on top in that particular situation and you get a little full of yourself, nothing good comes from that. And you gotta repent, the devil dances on your pride. But the other thing is maybe you come out on bottom because they just are coming out looking better than you at the moment. Jealousy. Scripture says jealousy is demonic. It's an opening for that enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. So when you come to a fork in the road and you're tempted to envy, to be jealous, to commit the sin of comparison, consider that an open door, a bait by the enemy, 
But I want to say, consider the invitation too, because this is something the Lord showed me that is so powerful. So you picture a fork in the road. You see a woman who's a little farther down the road than you, and you will see people. Once you awaken to your dream, it's almost like when you're pregnant, everybody's pregnant. You want to buy a white VW? Everybody has a white VW. I don't know, what is that? You know, when I was pregnant, my husband was so sweet. He got in the car and he goes, we were after church, and he goes, honey, you've asked seven people if they've lost weight, and none of them have. Because <laughs> I'm like, I was getting so big. I'm like, have you lost weight? And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh, have you lost weight? And they're like, no. Oh. <laughs> I was just growing deep in wine. He's like, you keep asking people that. I'm like, oh, okay. Anyway. But you see what you want, right? And so you come to this fork in the road, and the temptation is, I'm going to be jealous. I'm going to find fault. I'm going to hope she has parsley in her teeth when she goes up to speak. You know what I mean? We just wish the worst at times because we just, ugh. But there's another road that you can take, and this is an invitation from the Lord because God allows people to be in your path. You know why? Because they have something he wants to impart to you. How you steward what she has will determine how he blesses you. Can you handle it in her? Because if you can't handle it in her, you're not going to carry it well in you. So have her back because you don't even know what her call costs her. So how about if you steward it? You know what? There is so much territorialism, competition in the kingdom of God, and that is not God's kingdom. It's our kingdom. It's got to stop because Jesus says, pray for more workers. The work exceeds the workers. Don't be threatened by the few. So when you see a woman who has what you want, have her back and say, Lord, God bless her. I don't know what it takes her to carry that thing out. Bless her. Protect her from jealous women, kind of like me. And I'll have what she's having. I, I want some of that call. I want to carry a call like her. He's no respecter of persons. And you think if he gives more to her, it means less for you? Absolutely not. We're going to get to heaven and see a storehouse untapped because of our small living and our little faith. So steward well when you see a woman who has what you want. Have her back. Because someday when you take the Lord by faith, you're going to excite the jealousies in someone else. You want them stabbing you in the back, looking to find fault, building a case, or standing in the gap for you. Do the same. Amen? Honestly, I think this is a huge qualifier for what God wants to do in and through you. How do you handle? How do you handle it when someone has something that you want? So I'm going to talk about some common training grounds that, that God often uses that prepare us for our purpose. And they seem so disrelated to our call. It's easy to think in our head, Lord, I could be doing that if it weren't for this. And I'm here to tell you it's the this that's going to get you ready for that. And this is like sparring practice. This is a place to be where heroes and warriors are made. And the first one is betrayal. So you're thinking, I want to do this. I want to build a shelter for battered women, or I want to write a book, or I want to start a ministry for children. But you're dealing with the stab in the back, and you're bleeding under your armor. And you're like, oh, what will you do about that? Will you gather people on your side and return the favor and gossip? Or will you forgive? Will you humbly bow before the Lord and say, I so want to do to her what she did to me, but God, have your way. Bless her, my enemy, and protect me in my vulnerability and defend me. You know what? When a woman humbles herself before the Lord and someone dares come against her, they got to come against him. And it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Entrust your reputation, your soul, and your story to him. And because you will be betrayed, you will be gossiped about, you'll be backstabbed. How will you handle it? Will you lose confidence? Will you get insecure? Will you become a typical petty woman? Or will you rise up and say, my salvation and my honor depend on God alone? Because in due time, you will be vindicated. Do you trust that? You have to trust that. 
How do you handle betrayal? The next one is financial hardship. Will you trust him? Where does your help come from? The temptation, and we did this in our early years. We had so much medical debt, and just in fear, we charged diapers. In fear, Kev took a third job. In fear, we did all those things out of fear, going, we're going we're gonna to lose a little roof over our head. We're not going to have food for our kids. And any fear-driven decision was a bad one. Thank the Lord, he turned us around. But when you deal with financial hardship, almost anybody I've ever met that's done anything significant for the kingdom has had the financial rug pulled out from underneath them. And it's not a bad thing. Because you got to know your help comes from God. And what I love about his promises is he's not bound by what's going on in the earthly economy. His promises are still true. And I think this could be the church's finest hour. We should sow into our churches, sow into the ministries. Because you know what? As you sow, so will you reap. And so show that you're not afraid. Because he's got a bigger shovel. You cannot outgive him. So be, be staunch in your trust that your help comes from God. And be someone who doesn't pull back in fear in your giving, but becomes a greater giver. Make the devil sorry he ever messed with you. And you'll see your, the financial attack against you fall apart, I'm just saying. How are we doing? All right. Third one is rejection or being overlooked. So you might be in this, in this valley of preparation, and you feel like the longings of your heart are just not being fulfilled, but you know you have gifts and desires, and you've been used by God before, and then all of a sudden God does something really great in you, and the right people are looking the wrong way. And you're like, hello, did you see that? Did you see that? I prayed and they got healed. <laughs> hello. And you think about Joseph in the Old Testament. He interpreted a dream, and he's like, remember me? And they're like, will do. Forgot. What do you do with that? The temptation is going, do you see me? I'm legit. But the call is to say, God, you see me. I see you. And one day you will establish me. You know where I live. And he will. He knows where you live. So when you're rejected, when you're overlooked, they don't have the last say. They may miss you completely. And I do believe God allows really important people to miss us. So that remember, he's the important one. My hope is in him, not in them. Amen? Another one is disillusionment, disillusionment with church or ministry or some other Christian organization. This will happen. You'll, be, you'll get close into leadership and you might go, oh, I like eating sausage, but I sure don't like seeing how it's made. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where you get close up and go, pray for your leaders because it takes a whole lot of grit to stay in the inner place, to see the inner workings and to walk with a humble gracious heart. Pray for your leaders. It's, it's, to me, there's a, a very few that can do that with a pure heart, and that's why there's such a reward for them in heaven. But if you want to be a leader, you want to have authority, you have to be under authority. And there'll be a temptation. Do I judge or do I intercede? Do I step back because I've been hurt and overlooked and tell everybody, don't go to that church, don't, don't sow into that organization. And I'm not saying cover up something that's wrong, but you know when you're doing it to blast somebody and when you're stewarding something out of conviction, right? And so do know, if you see a church or an organization that you're completely disillusioned with, do believe that almost always there are intercessors on the inside who see what you see. Pray for that. But be careful. I think it was William MacDonald who said, there's enough flesh in every one of us to single-handedly destroy any work of God. So have a fear of the Lord when you get hurt because there's a way to handle it. And how you steward it will determine how you fare as you walk out your call. I have seen people who were so gifted. This isn't just about gifting. That's a small, small part of it. 
But they took offense, and they wouldn't let it go, and they nursed it and nursed it. And I saw how God really could have used them in significant ways, but never did. Have a fear of the Lord and how you deal with your disillusionment. He will lift you up and entrust you with great things if you can be trusted with how you handle your offense. Amen? Past baggage. This is not a problem for God, but it is for us so often. I always say oftentimes when God is about to do a new thing, the devil will bring up an old thing because he wants you looking back when you should be looking up. So if the enemy's bringing up a bunch of old junk and bringing in condemnation, turn around and go, God, what do you have for me? I'm so excited because he's really barking loud today, right? And I, I mean, I really finally got to the point to say the fact that you are bothering with me means God's got something really great for me. So talk to him. We got to be a little bit more feisty in our faith because we let that enemy taunt us all day long. I have a girlfriend who said, is that Satan's cell phone that you're listening to again? How much are you paying for that plan? <laughs> it costs us to listen to the enemy. You don't have time, right? You don't have time. Shut the phone up. <gasps> I've never said that before. I said phone, first of all, but I, I'll never say that again. <laughs> I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night. All right. Moving on. Can I just do this real quick? Okay. The last one. This is a training ground that is so important, and it's someone else's blessing. It's a training ground where you're in your waiting room, and someone else is just blowing up, having all their prayers answered. They're in a season of favor. And you got to remember that when he makes you wait, it's because he's making you ready. I want you to say this. He's making me wait because he's making me ready. Because you got to hear me. These things are access points for the enemy. What comes up in you is in you. You don't have a goat to get unless you got a goat in there, right? So you can blame people all day long for your angst, but God knows what scenario will bring your self-life up. And he wants to bring it out, refine it, and purify it because if that's left intact... That's an access point for the enemy. So let him have his way in you. Well, someone else's blessing is an area I failed in miserably, but I came back around and the Lord really redeemed, redeemed it. But let's see, we'd been married, let's see, in our first seven years of marriage, we went through unrelenting crises. And I don't have time to get into the whole story, but high-risk pregnancy, months and months on bed rest, followed by during my six months on bed rest with my third son, I was let up for a day and... Um, Met some girlfriends from college and was in Stillwater, went for a walk. Long story short, back in bed that night, two weeks from that date, my face went numb and I was bit by the tick, unknowingly, deer tick, during my pregnancy. So I went from six months in bed, I delivered that baby and I went down with Lyme disease. And I literally did not think I would make it out of my 20s. I was so deathly ill. So I went from people caring for our kids because of the bed rest to caring for me and our kids because of this wretched Lyme disease. And our medical debt climbed way up high. And when I started to get better, my husband got cancer. So we, we went through a lot. And it, all my friends seemed like to be the haves, and I was the have-not. And I couldn't figure out why God had lost my address and why I would pray and pray, and the word would be dead on the page. And I'm like, where are you? And then on top of it, you've got the Job friends who are like, maybe you're hiding sin, you know? And I was so insecure that I'm like, really? Because other than my basic wretchedness, which I know, I'm so aware of, is there anything else you see? Because nobody wants out of this more than me. And it was so devastating. Well, for seven years, we lived in this little blue house. And we moved to Colorado for a year on this job prospect that was going to give Kev a raise. 
to help us pay off the medical debt. It didn't pan out. We came back, but our medical debt was such that we couldn't buy a house yet, so we lived in this little rental house. And by this time, I want to say we're in our 30s. We have th our three little guys. All my friends are like on their second houses. They're taking trips. Their kids are wearing name brand clothes. What I know now looking back is I was going into a depression. I was, I was in a mild to moderate depression for about a year after this point. But here I am living in this little rental house and feeling like this weary, rootless traveler. So exhausted and the, the clouds were gray over my head. So sad and so tired. And our house was this yellow color, like pee. And <laughs> inside and out, every single wall, the carpet and the trim on the outside. All, it was the pee house, it was just yellow. And it was so depressing to me. And um, I'm so tired. And this friend says, you know who you gotta meet? You gotta meet this friend who reminds me so much of you. So I have three sons. This friend lived across the road from our little development in the rolling hills where all the blessed people live. And you drive over there, Victorian giant houses, you'd hear the hallelujah chorus. <laughs> hallelujah, I am blessed. You know, I mean, it was just like, oh my word, just across the road, you know. Well, she had the three boys, similar names as my boys, and a little girl, cute little tomboy girl, just the kind of girl I thought I might have, but I had to have a hysterectomy in my 20s because of endometriosis on top of all that other stuff. So here she's got her three boys, she's got her little girl, she lives in this Victorian gorgeous house, it's darling, sweet, sweet girl. My husband's working three jobs so that we don't go bankrupt. Her husband worked from home and she said, he really only has to work about four hours a day because he's so, the kind of job he has and he's very efficient and he's very good at what he does, but it allows us all this time to do ministry together, right? And, and oh, and look, we moved in and then we found this sliding hill right out our back. I mean, what are the chances? And I'm like, what are the chances, you know? <laughs> and uh, everything in me was so, I loved her, so gracious, sweet, but she had everything I wanted. I never saw my husband. We were so afraid of going bankrupt and we were hanging on financially by a thread. In this, in this yellow house. <laughs> and so anyway, she's going to have this gathering one night. A bunch of friends were going to come over. And I, I didn't want to go. I just was so down. But I love this girl. So I'm like, yes, let's go. And my three boys are so excited to go on the sliding hill. Dead winter. We drive into the Victorian neighborhood. And I hear the song, right? And we pull up. And she's got candles in each of the windows. And you could smell the cinnamon candle from the curb. You know, it's just... And I'm traipsing up the snow. And my strong-willed middle son, who just gets so excited, he has these, you know, throws a fire truck at people, you know, like, Bleh! you know, I mean, just that way. And um, I'm traipsing up, and he goes, Mom, watch out! And he threw an ice ball at me and hit me in the temple, and I went to my knees. And my nose starts to run, and I start to cry. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I'm sobbing, because I was all, you know, have you ever been that? Your emotions are right here. All you'd need to do is see a diaper commercial or a cotton commercial, Yeah. So I'm sobbing in my mittens, and poor Lukey's like, Mommy, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's not you. And I'm, you know, I'm gasping and gagging, and my nose is running, and I'm feeling the lump, right? Well, I'm like, let's get it together. So we get up to the front door, and she opens the door, and all these friends, oh, a friend actually opened the door, so she didn't. And he's like, hey, I'm so-and-so. And I'm like, I'm Susie. I live in the pea house across the <laughs> I'm not kidding you, my nose wouldn't stop running. And they're like, what? Everybody would look at me. What's going on with your head? And uh, I had a perfectly miserable time. 
We got home into our little yellow house. We tucked our kids in bed, and I was beside myself. I was so sad. It was like the hope deferred had made my heart so sick. I was so sick and tired. I was still dealing with the Lyme's disease, major fatigue, body pain every day. Just, I'm like, where are you? Well, we sat down together on the couch. The lights were all down, and Kev scooped my hand up, and I put my head on his shoulder. And we prayed this prayer by memory, and I just want you to hear it. It's from Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Something supernatural happened in that little yellow house that day, that little yellow rental house. We had no roots. We were weary travelers. Our cupboards were empty. But to put a flag in the ground and say, you are still God. You are still good. We don't see what you're up to, but we know you're up to something good. This is so important. And you're going to have these valleys of the shadow. But guess what? When you come through it, God's going to prepare a table for you in front of that enemy who mocked you. And he's going to see what a blessed woman you are. But we have to have the financial rug pulled out. We have to, because we white knuckle and get our value and our hope and all these things, being understood, having a good reputation, having people think well of us. Our hope is in the Lord. We love people, but our hope is in the Lord. And these good gifts become idols when we need them too much. And so if you want to be and do everything God intends you to be, you've got to take the power away from the title, from the status, from the position, from everybody knowing who you are. And if you can handle that, there's no end to what he'll do through you. And it's not to say you'll never struggle with it again. But this is not about formulas. God will blow the doors off of any and every formula we try to make. He is not bound by our routine. But he responds to faith and all of life is an offering. And when you give it as a humble offering, in your times of plenty, you say, I'll glory to you, Lord. In your times of want, I'll glory to you, Lord. There is no end to what he can do in and through you. Amen? Amen. So there are three phases that we go through when we're walking out the dream of God. When you finally awaken to the idea, yep, he's going to use me in ways that are beyond me. I decide to believe it. A dream far off is where... Passion awakens, right? And possibilities are awakened. And as I said, jealousy awakens. And so you need the time because as you walk it out, stuff will happen to bring your self-life to the surface so he can refine you and prepare you. But it's far enough that it seems like, you know, the sky's the limit. But the next stage is a dream up close. And that's where fears are confronted. So where before, it's like, why, why are you taking so long? Now it gets up close where your humanity can touch it because if you take a step at a time and you trust him and you take steps of faith, you're going to gain ground and your toes are going to touch that land of promise. They are. And suddenly you're going to get close enough to touch it and you're going to go, I could really mess this up. It was easier to dream when it was far away, but now that it can touch me, I could wreck it. And then the giants appear in your land. And this is where your fears are confronted. And then the third phase is a dream realized, and it's where your faith is strengthened and you're conditioned to stand in a new place. And it's just like fitness. It's like up in your game from running a 5K to a half marathon where suddenly you train at a new level and your capacity and threshold increases. And people who knew you when, like, I, there has to be a God. I cannot believe that woman is standing in that place. Half of you probably thinking that about me. That's all right. <laughs> but there's a training time for reigning time. And we got to lean in and trust him. So I'm going to play a short clip. Well, it's not that short. It's like 10 minutes. Um, Do we still have, are we okay to do that? Are we okay? Okay. 
Um, this is about my fear, and it's a very personal fear, and I never intended to share it publicly, but the Lord gave me the elbow, and I thought nobody else will understand this, but apparently a few did. You might not relate to this fear, and it's a very honest story, but your own fears. The enemy knows. He knows your number, and he will try to stir up a fear that's yours, and we've got to learn that God will have our back, and as we uh, hear this, I'll come back, make a few more points, and we'll have some time of ministry. You know, a couple of years ago, God delivered me from a fear I didn't even know existed. Actually, I knew I was afraid, but I didn't even have a name for it. But when he set me free, it was a game changer for me. On one hand, I enjoyed intimacy with God. I walked closely with him. I enjoyed great times of prayer, times in the word. But on the other hand, I missed out on the abundant life God intended for me. Over these last years, we've seen God do amazing things. And all the things I'm going to be talking to you about, his promises being true, facing down your fears, all those things are true. And as I took God at his word, I did see him expand territory, open doors of opportunity, use us in ways that where lives are being changed. So I couldn't really identify why, though. I was miserably afraid on the inside. On one hand, I had joy. On the other hand, I had paralyzing fear. And I had this conversation with a friend and she's like, all these great things are happening for you. Why aren't you more excited? Other people would be running around their yard, jumping up and down. Why aren't you just thrilled beyond words? And she's sort of poking at me going, what, what is that? And I said, I'm afraid. And she said, what are you afraid of? And I, before I could even think about it, I said, I'm afraid of a fear of exposure. And she goes, exposure? What's there to expose? You're like the cleanest liver I know. I don't know anybody who lives more cleanly before the Lord. And it was like this weird look from a friend was a gift straight from God because I knew that I wasn't a fraud. I wasn't living a double life. So how did the enemy manage to get away with so much in my life to paralyze me in fear that I was somehow one step away, one word away from absolute public humiliation, that I was just one tiny tiptoe away from dishonoring God and dishonoring myself. It was a paralyzing fear. And I asked God, deliver me. What is this? Well, it really goes back to when I was a little girl. God started to show me this chronicle journey of how this fear first entered, made its way into my soul. As I mentioned, I grew up in a big family of seven kids and we lived check to check. And we were kind of a public family. My dad was the mayor of the local city. And I would go with my mom to the grocery store to help her get groceries for a family of nine. I'll never forget this. We had two grocery carts full of food. We're unloading all the food on the conveyor belt. People are behind us. People are in front of us getting their bags ready. We got all the food out on the conveyor belt. And the woman said loud enough for everybody to hear, I'm sorry, Mrs. Erickson. We can't take your check. Your last one bounced. And we were completely exposed in front of people, people who didn't know us very well, but suddenly had access to a very private struggle. We walked out empty-handed. We went into the car. I sat in the passenger seat and I watched my mom. I couldn't even breathe. She held the steering wheel like it was a life preserver. She put her head on the steering wheel and she cried her eyes out. Something got in me. I never, ever for the rest of my life wanted to know that kind of public humiliation. We jump ahead a number of years. I'm a young mom. I'm battling a disease. Two of my three sons had chronic respiratory issues. We had medical debt, more than we could pay. And we were paying $5 a month on every bill. We had $27,000 of medical debt. 
I'm in this packed waiting room with my three little boys. And out of the blue, over the crowd, the receptionist says, I'm Mrs. Larson. And I stand up and I said, that's me. And in front of everybody, in a pretty harsh voice, she says, I'm sorry, we can't see your son today. We need a little more than $5 a month on your account. And our kids, my boys looked up at me and I looked at them and everybody was watching me. And I was publicly completely humiliated and exposed. I walked out to the car with my little guys, buckled them in. I put my head on the steering wheel and I cried my eyes out. I was mortified. Jump ahead. I had my first speaking event. I'm still a young mom, so sick, had memory issues. I was so scared, but I knew God wanted me to share our story of hardship and how faithful he was. Someone gave me the cassette tape of the message afterwards, and I heard a detail that I'd gotten wrong. I misspoke on a certain detail by accident, but like raging bulls stampeding through my ear, the enemy said, you will certainly dishonor God. You will certainly mess up, and I will be there when you do. I will humiliate you. And here again, that fear got a deeper stronghold in my life. Jump ahead again. Here I'm a published author and an author friend of mine has a review on Amazon from a woman. She gave her a scathing review. She said, I don't respect this woman at all. She said, I read her other book. She said she went into foster care at age four. This book, she says she went in at age three. Which was it? She has no credibility with me. I don't want to read anything she has to say. Now, in my right mind reading this now, I would, I would be able to say, you know, get a clue, woman. You know, when, women, when children have horrific, traumatic events, it is easy to blur the dates and the times. But I was so wrapped up in my fear, all I could think about is, I'm gonna get a detail wrong. I have some painful things from my childhood. That's gonna happen to me. And it strangled its hold on me all the more. Jump ahead again. There were some women in my life who decided to hate me. And they talked to a lot of different people about me. And the things they said had kernels of truth, but a lot of lie. I was publicly humiliated and exposed. It was like the enemy took all these different dots in my life and, and tempted me to connect the dots. And all it did was put a stranglehold of fear in my life. I was scared out of my mind that I was going to dishonor God, that somehow, some way, I'd humiliate myself. So with every bit of advancement I experienced, the noose tightened on me. I couldn't enjoy all the promises that I've been walking out and laying hold of by faith, scared out of my mind. Well, one morning I was sitting in the sink putting my makeup on, and for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, my older sister always sat in the sink in the bathroom and she'd do her mascara, so I thought everybody sat in the sink. So even now at this age, I sit in the sink to put my makeup on. Well, this particular morning, I'm sitting in the sink, and I'm actually really joyful because that fear hadn't reared its head in a while, and I'm getting ready to fly out of state for a speaking event. The praise music is on. I'm having a good morning. Really out of the blue, I'm putting on my makeup. And it was like Jesus was right here. And he whispered with such clarity in my ear, I'll never forget it. He said, I expose the wicked. I defend, protect, and vindicate the righteous. Not because they're perfect, but because they're mine. And you are mine. And I gasped, I said, what? And it was like he leaned in more. And he said, I expose the wicked. I defend and I protect and I vindicate the righteous not because they're perfect, but because they're mine. And you are mine. And I cried my eyes out. I knew it was true. The truth set me free. I knew I could never be perfect. And I lived under this false assumption that God didn't have my back, but he did. He exposes the wicked. 
He defends and protects and vindicates us. When He sends us out, He has our back. What He exposes in our life is the lie, so He can replace it with the truth. I cried, and then I tried to put my makeup on, and then I cried it off, and then I put it on three times, and then I'm like, whatever. And I got on the plane, and I spoke, and I needed to just be in a room and cry my eyes out because it was like He lifted this boulder out of my soil, and He set this prisoner free. I was raw. It's like I had surgery. Well, the next morning, I'm still at the speaking event. I got up early. I wanted to get in the Word, open my journal, and just hear more of what God had to say. And without a hint of condemnation, he said, you remember that time you exposed another? And I did. Several years before, somebody who seemed like a Pharisee to me, she blocked the things of God, frustrated me to no end. And in a conversation where people were wondering why things weren't moving ahead without saying her name, I asked another question that insinuated her guilt. When I did that, the Lord took me out to the woodshed for about three days, and I was under heavy hand, the discipline of the Lord. And yeah, the enemy tried to come in with all kinds of condemnation, but it was the hand of the Lord that undid me. I had a whole new fear of God after I had done that. That was years ago. So here I am that morning of the retreat, and the Lord so sweetly whispered to my ear. He said, do you remember that? You can't uncover another to cover up yourself. I, that's my job. And do you see why I needed to deliver you from this fear? You sin out of those places. We sin out of those places. I need to heal you because it's those areas where the enemy has access to your soul. Next morning, I'm with the Lord again. I'm crying over my Bible. I'm journaling. I'm just like, tell me more. Tell me more. You've set this prisoner free. Tell me more. And the Lord whispered to my heart again. And he said, what do you pray every day for the human trafficking victim? And I didn't even have to think about it. I said, expose the wicked and establish the righteous. Confuse the plans of the wicked and establish the plans of these heroes who are going to get these captives out of there. Put a firewall between the wicked and the weak. And I have this long prayer that I pray, but I didn't even realize I'd been using the word expose. And the Lord whispered in my heart, so there's the word again. Do you see how connected your threat to the enemy is with his threat to you? This is why I got to have you free. I got to have you free. And you can trust me to deliver you. You can trust me. I will have your back. He exposes the wicked, but he defends and protects and vindicates the righteous because we belong to him. You wonder if that's true? I want you to think about Noah for just a moment. Noah was a righteous, righteous man. If you read the Bible, he did everything God asked him to do. How many of us can say that? God asked him to do something. Noah did exactly as God asked. But then one day, he passes out drunk, naked, not his shining hour. His young son, Ham, what is his instinctive response when he sees his dad in this humiliating scenario? He runs and he tells. But his two other sons, they back in, they honor, they cover their father's nakedness. You wonder if it matters to God whether we expose or cover? Look at the history, how it plays out, because Ham's generation is cursed and his brothers are blessed. It's as if God is saying, yeah, I know he's drunk, 
I know he's naked, but he's my son. That man, that drunk, naked man you're talking about, he belongs to me. And so you come against him, you come against me. You got to know you can trust him. It's such a big deal to him when we trust him with our fears. It's such a big deal to him when we step out with all of our stuff. He's got our back. He can be trusted. He's a good God, isn't he? So get ready to close. I want to call up our friend on the piano. Hear this from Streams in the Desert. Everything you can comprehend through face vision belongs to you. Look as far as you can, for it's all yours. All you long to be as a Christian and all you long to do for God are within the possibilities of faith. And A.B. Simpson wrote this, God is continually preparing his heroes. And when the opportunity is right, he puts them into position in an instant. And he works so fast, the world wonders where they came from. You can play when you're ready. This is an urgent hour. And God had you born, be born to be living for such a time as this. And so your call isn't just so you can be fulfilled and be happy, although you will be fulfilled and be joyful. Your call isn't just so you can take the ground back that the enemy stole, although you'll take the ground back the enemy stole. But nothing speaks to a lost and dying world as a woman or a man who humbly, confidently walks out their call and says, I know my Redeemer lives and I will stand with him on the last day. Would you stand up with me, please? I want to call the prayer team forward. I ask you to be much with God. Walk intimately with him. Give him time and space every day. Bend an ear towards heaven. And so you were saying, Lord, tell me what you think about me. Tell me what you love about me. Tell me what you see in me. Show me the story you want to write with my life. And then give me faith to walk it out. Then do the next thing he tells you to. Give him access to your story. Humble yourself. Be teachable. Let him speak to you about your fears and your tendency to gossip or to be late or to be mad. He loves you. He won't beat you down. He will call you up. Then dare to say, bid me come. Call me out to do the impossible. We're just going to take a moment here to pray, and I'm going to call you forward. If you are in a place where you just need a fresh touch from God or you need a fresh revelation of the call of God, start coming now. I'm going to pray for you. And don't leave just yet, because after this prayer time, I'm going to come back, give some books away, and we are going to go out with a bang. But come on up. Come on up. Not all at once, though. (laughs) These prayer ladies are here if you need some individual private prayer. Otherwise, I'm just going to pray. We're just going to take a couple minutes. We'll wrap up real soon here. Father in heaven, I want to thank you that you are good Your promises are true and you will make a way for us. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you'd release the power of your spirit over these women even now. Some of these women here have a seed dream that they've put aside and they stop believing. May faith rise up and they start believing again. Some of these women, I can just see it in my spirit. They've dug up the seed, dug up the seed, wondering why it's not bearing fruit. Give them the faith to put it back in the ground, Lord Jesus, and to trust you. Some women have experienced such hardship that they don't even dare to dream because they don't want to be disappointed. But Lord, your word says hope does not disappoint. So God, may hope make a comeback in their lives. Lord God, may hope rise up. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who have been dealing with depression for a very long time. And with the authority of Christ in me, I speak to that depression and I say, the Lord rebuke you. And you are broken in Jesus' name. You are powerless over my sister's life. I pray even tomorrow morning that sister will wake up with a renewed sense of purpose and energy. I pray tonight her sleep would be prophetic and restful, that you would download insight as she rests. Lord, I really sense that there's someone here who needs to quit a job. And you're saying, I'll have you. I will provide for you. What I have for you is around the bend. You've got to trust me. You've got to let go of this to lay hold of that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. As someone who's just, just been battling financial issues, but you've been hit and miss in your tithe, hit and miss with the things that God has called you to in fear, and God loves you. But he's saying, start to sow again. Put seeds in the ground, and you will find me faithful. Thank you, God. There's somebody that's been knocking down doors trying to get her deal done, but she's facing the wrong way. And I just pray that you'd invite her into your presence, allow her to kneel before you. I know in due time you'll establish her, you'll connect her, you know where she lives. Give her a heart at rest and at peace. Thank you, Lord. Father in heaven, Thank you that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Every tongue that rises up in judgment will be proven to be false, Lord Jesus. No scheme can diminish your purposes in our life, Lord God. So may faith rise up. May we do the next thing you're telling us to, Lord. You are good. God, you're coming soon. Help us to live as ones who are spoken for. I'm just going to give a minute for these uh, precious prayer warriors to pray. So if you need prayer, then I'm going to come back and give some books away, and we're going to go out with the bang. So do not leave. We'll wrap up in about one minute.